You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, if you have Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 1 this morning. I'll make my way up here. Uh, If you have uh, those black hardcover Bibles, Psalm 1 is going to be found on page 448. Uh, So you can make your way to the book of Psalms. And as we continue uh, our series this morning on uh, being a people of prayer, I just want to start by asking a a question. What is prayer? What is prayer? And I suppose it would have been better for me to ask that like two weeks ago when we started the, the series. We're like a couple weeks deep into this series. Seems like an important question we could have asked sooner, but better late than never. What is prayer? It's something that that Christians talk about and participate in so often, we sometimes forget, or maybe we've never even really considered, at a fundamental level, what it even is. Tim Keller suggests this definition. He says, prayer is a personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. A personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. Now, he, he acknowledges this. That, that's a universal definition of prayer. So all forms, all kinds of prayer, whether they're full of faith or not, whether they're theologically accurate or not, whether they're offered to the one true God or not, the simple fact that, that people pray is evidence that human beings are created in the image of God, are created for relationship, are created to communicate with the God who made them. And so we personally and communicatively respond. There are, of course, all kinds of of corruptions to that. And and when one religion or one form of spirituality refers to prayer, and I know a lot of you know this already, but that does not necessarily mean the same thing as when some other religion or worldview refers to prayer. But the issue is not that, that some people are wired to pray and some people aren't. It's that some people have accepted God's revelation of himself And some have not. Some people are responding personally and communicatively to him, the God who is there, the one true God, and some don't. So what we're going to consider together this morning is that prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is conversation with God. Uh, But if we're going to be faithful in prayer, if we're going to increasingly become a people of prayer, as our aim in this series is, that will only come by recognizing that this conversation was started by God. This conversation was started by God. It will not come by us first speaking to God. It will come by us first hearing from God. It's impossible to overstate the importance of the marriage between Scripture, the authoritative, revealed Word of God, and prayer. Being saturated in Scripture, having our knowledge of God calibrated by what he has revealed about himself and about us and about this world, that's the only way for us to really know that our prayers are directed to the one true God and not some other God of our own creation. So what is prayer? As Tim Keller continues in his book, in the Christian sense of the word, prayer is, quote, a genuine personal conversation in reply to God's specific verbal revelation, 
It is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace. So this morning, we're going to dive into that idea further by exploring Psalm 1. So let me pray for us, and then we'll read that together. Let me pray. Father, blessed are you, God of all creation. In the beginning, you spoke, and all things came into existence. You spoke again, and your word came to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. We ask now that by your spirit, you would bless this time in this place where we would hear your voice. Bless this time and place where we would hear your truth, where we would hear your story. As we listen this morning, may our ears be attuned to you. And as your word is spoken, may you speak to us. May, may all that we hear lead us to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. So if prayer is, is conversation with God, let's use the rest of our time this morning to consider these two things. How God speaks to us and how we speak to God. How God speaks to us and how we speak to God. So first, how God speaks to us. Augustine uh, the famous early church father from the 3rd and 4th century, famously called the Psalms the school of prayer. The school of prayer. And for about 3,000 years or so now, the Psalms are where the people of God have learned how to pray. The Psalms, as a number of you know, are, are a collection of songs and poems that validate the human experience. They, they give us camaraderie for the wide range of circumstances and emotions that we go through in our lifetime. And that's how we often, and rightfully so, think of the Psalms. But we always have to remember that the Psalms are also, the Psalms are first and foremost, God's authoritative word. They are inspired by God the Spirit. So even as the Psalms are the school where we learn how we're going to speak to God, they are first and foremost God speaking to us. And Psalm 1 that we just read, it's the gateway to the whole book the whole Psalter, the whole book of Psalms. Along with Psalm 2, Psalm 1 lays the foundation for everything that comes after it. So if you want to think of it even like one of our worship services, Psalm 1 is like the call to worship. Or if you want to think of it as a school, the school of prayer, Psalm 1 is back to school orientation. So I just this morning want to walk through briefly an exposition of Psalm 1, really focusing on God speaking to us. God speaking to us. So as you hopefully heard, Psalm 1 is contrasting the way of the righteous with the way of the wicked. To use the, the opening word of this whole book of Psalms, it's explaining what a truly blessed life is. 
And specifically, it's saying that the blessed life is found in a standard and in a source and in a standing. So first, it's found in a standard. We, we all measure our lives by some standard, some gauge, whether we're conscious of it or it's kind of more of a subconscious thing, that tells us whether we're on or off track. And whatever that standard is, it has a huge bearing on what our lives look like, what our pursuits entail. A blessed life, the psalmist is saying, comes through a particular standard. And the psalmist begins here by first saying what it's not, and then circling back around to what it, to what it is. So it's not walking in the counsel of the wicked. When the Psalms, or a lot of other parts of Scripture, refer to the wicked or refer to sinners, it's not just talking about people who sin, because that's all of us. That's all of us. It's talking about people who aren't even pursuing faithfulness to God. It's talking about people who either don't care or are maybe even hostile toward God. And the standard in which blessing is found starts by not looking to those people as your advisors, as your counselors. So for example, if you, if you in your life are looking to social media or self-help books or places like that, like that's where you get your advice and counsel for how you're going to live your life. Well, most likely, you might never have thought of it this way before, most likely you're walking in the counsel of the wicked. That's not the standard. The standard is also not standing in the way of sinners. So it's not just about advice and the counsel we take in. It's also that we don't want to model our lives after people if they're not also pursuing faithfulness to God. We don't want to pursue the same patterns of living and, and thinking. We don't want to go the same way that they are going. Nor is the standard, the psalmist continues, sitting in the seat of scoffers. And a scoffer is a word in the Bible that's used to speak about someone even more opposed to God than a wicked person or a sinner. And to sit in the seat of a scoffer then would be to start to take on that identity yourself. You're no longer just taking advice. You're no longer just mimicking someone else's way of life. You're starting to become this. So there's a progression here. There's a progression here to walk in the, in the way of the wicked, the counsel of the wicked. To walk means that you're still moving. And if you're still moving, it's a little bit easier to be redirected. To stand means you've stopped moving. You're now a little bit more attentive, engaging with the way of sinners. And finally, to sit in the seat of scoffers, well, now you've not only stopped, now you've pulled up a chair. Now you've made yourself comfortable. And because, that's a, because it's a scoffer you're sitting with, it means you've just embedded yourself with someone who's even more entrenched in their opposition to God. So that's where blessing is not found, but it is found, the psalmist says, where? By delighting in the law of the Lord and by meditating on it day and night. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the phrase, the law of the Lord, my visceral first response, my visceral first emotion is not necessarily delight. Uh, that sounds like rules, and maybe like some of you, I don't particularly enjoy being told what to do and what not to do. And so the law of the Lord, when you first hear it, sounds more like a restriction, sounds more like a burden than something I would delight in. But here's what we have to realize. The law of the Lord certainly includes God's commands. It is not less than the commands of God that we are meant to obey. But it is so much more than that. It's the whole counsel of God. 
It's the truth of God. It's the knowledge that God is the one who has created the whole world and called it good. It's the knowledge that though our sin corrupts and breaks things, God is the one who will redeem and restore. See, through his word, through his law, God has spoken to us. God has revealed the story of everything. The blessed life is the life aligned with that story. That's the blessed life. A life that goes along with the grain of his good design, not against that grain. And just the fact that we have access to such a standard that God has given this to us, it's mind-blowing. We take it for granted way too easily, but it's mind-blowing. God did not leave you and I to figure all of this out on our own. He spoke to us. He told us what a blessed life entails. That's why we delight in it. That's why we learn it. That's why we own it. That's why we seek to live by it. So blessing is found in a standard. It's also found, the psalmist continues though, in a source. A source. The blessed one is like a tree continually connected to a source of water. And this is the the beautiful complement to that to that last point. Blessing is not just found in a standard, it's found in a source. God is not some kind of distant, disconnected rule giver or storyteller. He doesn't just say, hey, men and women, here's the standard. Good luck. I hope you can get there. I hope you can get close. No, God is enabling what he commands. He has spoken to us through his word, but then he also invites us to abide in him continually. The Holy Spirit inspires the words of Scripture, speaks authoritatively in a unique way through the prophets, through the apostles. But the Holy Spirit, we find in Scripture, also comes to dwell within us. And even as we think about prayer in the series specifically, as the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit helps us, not just by inspiring Scripture for us to read, but the Spirit helps us by interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit helps us when we pray. So just like a stream of water is the source of life and fruitfulness for a tree, when God is the source of our life, when God is the source of our fruitfulness, that's a blessed life, the psalmist says. The wicked, on the other hand, verse 4, they're like chaff. They're like the part of the grain that you throw away, disconnected from the root, without a source, and therefore not fruitful, not stable, but easily driven by the wind. Blessing has everything to do, not just with the standard, but the source. And then third, the blessing has to do with a standing, a standing. These last two verses of Psalm 1, they talk about the outcome of these two ways of life. And the psalmist says there, the wicked will not be able to stand in the judgment. They won't be able to join in the congregation of the righteous. Ultimately, their way will perish, which is a way of referring to hell. It's a way of referring to God's eternal judgment against the wicked and against their sin. See, from the opening words of this whole book of Psalms, we are meant to see that the stakes are really high. The stakes are really high. The Psalms are all about worship. They're all about our devotion to the one true God. And we're finding out from the very beginning of this book that there are those who worship God and there are those who don't. And we're finding out here at the end of this first psalm that ultimately, eternally, there will be those who worship God in his presence forever and there will be those who won't. What's the difference between those two groups of people? A standing, a standing. The righteous, the psalmist says, are known by God. 
The wicked will not stand in the judgment. But, verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He doesn't just know about them. He doesn't just know that there's this group of people that exist. He knows their way. He knows them in an intimate, loving way. God looks upon them with care and affection in a way that he does not look upon the wicked. The righteous are given standing with God. See, God has spoken to us as our source that our lives might be fruitful, but God has first and foremost spoken so that we might know him, so that we might be connected to him, so that we might be in and enjoy a relationship with him forever. And I hope you heard as we read it where the emphasis is on this. When, when we hear words like the wicked and the righteous, and we think about those two groups of people, we almost immediately start to think in this really moralistic kind of grid. How many of you guys are familiar with the old children's magazine, Highlights? Highlights for children. Some, I know I'm dating myself. If you're like a young person, you're like, I have no idea what that means. Okay. Highlights for children had this cartoon in it called Goofus and Gallant. And that's, I think, the way our mind naturally gravitates when we think about the righteous and the wicked. It's like, Goofus is the, the one that makes the bad choices all the time, gets himself into trouble, hurts himself and others. Don't be a Goofus. Gallant is the one that always makes the right decision. Do the right thing. Be like Gallant. And that's true. I mean, we are, we are meant to be active in pursuing righteousness and in forsaking wickedness. We're called to be active in that. But notice where the emphasis is in Psalm 1. This is about God. He has revealed the standard. He is the source that makes it possible to actually follow it. He is the one that knows his people that might, they might actually be righteous. And to be known by God, that's the meaning of what a blessed life is. That's what it actually means to be, to be blessed. And see, for us, any, any understanding of prayer, any of the future Psalms that are going to teach you and I how to pray, it has to begin by recognizing that this conversation was started by God. This conversation is not only started by God, it's sustained by God. And that this conversation will continue forever solely by the grace of God. We don't pray in order to make ourselves knowable, in order to make ourselves heard. We pray because we are already known. Prayer begins not by speaking to God, but by hearing from God. The author of Hebrews, centuries later, goes on to explain, this is actually exactly what the incarnation and the work of Jesus Christ is all about. The author of Hebrews says at the beginning of Hebrews, chapter 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Talking about even what we have revealed for us in Scripture. God spoke by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us, how? By his son, by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, God has spoken most clearly through Jesus. It's because of Jesus you and I have this standing with God. By his finished work, by our faith in his finished work, we have that standing with God. We are known by God. And because of Jesus, we are now invited, we are called to approach God's throne, not with timidity, not with terror, but with confidence that we will actually find grace and mercy to help in our time of need. Prayer begins not by speaking to God, but by hearing what God has spoken to us. 
Now, second, second, let's talk about how we speak to God. If that's how God speaks to us, how do we speak to God? Because though prayer is a conversation started by God, it is one that we are called over and over again in Scripture to continue, to participate in. Throughout this series on prayer, we're, we're seeking each week to offer some, some practices, uh, some tools for your proverbial prayer toolbox that you can use, and God willing, will more and more form us into a people of prayer. There are a ton of potential uh, implications and applications we could draw from Psalm 1. But as it pertains to prayer, the two that I really want to highlight today are meditation and praying scripture. Meditation and praying scripture. Now, like prayer, different religions and worldviews mean very different things when they talk about meditation. Uh, For some religions and worldviews, meditation is to look inward, to kind of circle in on yourself and kind of get closer and closer and go inward. Or in some religions and worldviews, meditation means to empty yourself, to be completely disconnected, disassociated, unburdened from the world. For the Christian, meditation is actually the complete opposite of those things. It's not to look inward. For the Christian, meditation is to look outward. It's to look and see what God has revealed. And it's not to empty yourself. It's actually to be filled and saturated in his truth and his love and his grace. Meditation is the practice of thinking and dwelling deeply on the words that God has spoken in Scripture. That's a succinct definition for Christian meditation. Thinking and dwelling deeply on the words God has spoken in Scripture. It's like the psalmist says of this blessed man in Psalm 1, it's to delight in the law of the Lord. Or even as the psalmist says, to meditate on his law day and night. At Liberty Church, uh, our rhythms of grace, these nine habits of the Christian life that we're always pursuing, our rhythms of grace include Bible study and prayer. And I think to at least some degree, the vast majority of us participate in those two things. Like most of us in this room, at least sometimes open our Bibles and read. And most of us in this room, at least sometimes pray. But for the vast majority of us, I'm pretty confident, the missing link between those two things, between Bible study and prayer, is meditation. Throughout the centuries, the people of God have recognized how unfruitful and even unfaithful prayer lives can become if they omit meditation. The Puritan Thomas Watson used the imagery of a fire. He said, the reason we we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. We do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Another Puritan, William Bridge, said this of meditation. He says, as it is the sister of reading, meditation is the sister of reading, so it is the mother of prayer. Though a man's heart be much indisposed to prayer, yet if he can fall into a meditation of God and the things of God, his heart will soon come off to prayer. William Bridge says, begin with reading or hearing, go on with meditation, end in prayer. End in prayer. Now, practically speaking, we can read a lot more scripture than we can meditate on. Like we can pass our eyes over a lot more words in any given period of time than we can actually dwell deeply on. So if you, for example, are reading through the Old Testament uh, with us in this church in 2023, you can read those three chapters a day. 
right? You can read those three chapters a day. You can even read them and even seek to understand them and read them deeply. But it's going to be almost impossible to meditate on three chapters a day, especially when you're in like Numbers and Leviticus and some of those books. Like those are hard chapters to meditate on. And so as Donald Whitney in his book on spiritual disciplines puts it, read big, meditate small. Read big, meditate small. And here's what I would say to you. Rather than just check the box that you've completed your Bible reading for the day. Like, that feels good, I know. I like it when that little thing pops up and says, you've done what, you know, it shows my progress over the year, the checkbox shows up by my name. It's a good feeling. It makes me happy. But rather than just check the box that you've completed it, hone in on one verse, or even part of a verse, a phrase, an attribute of God. And then think deeply on that. Absorb that. Try to get that into your bones. And then, because it's God who has spoken that word, it's God who has spoken that phrase, that attribute to you, then speak back to him your response. That, let that meditation overflow into prayer. Speak back your response. You can ask God the questions your meditation prompts. You can praise God for the gifts that your meditation brings to mind. You can offer God the emotion that your meditation elicits. You can plead with God to satisfy the longings your meditation stirs. So that's meditation. The other tool to put in your toolbox this week is praying scripture. Not just reading scripture, but as we're reading it, as we're making our way through what God has revealed, praying those words even back to God. So you can think of it this way. If prayer is conversation with God, then we need to learn, we need to become well-versed in the language of that conversation. Eugene Peterson compares this to, to us being young children who are learning how to speak for the very first time. Eugene Peterson writes, language is spoken to us. We learn language only as we are spoken to. We are plunged at birth into a sea of language. Then slowly, syllable by syllable, we acquire the capacity to answer. Mama, Papa, bottle, blanket, yes, no. None of, not one of these words was a first word. All speech is answering speech. We were all spoken to before we spoke. And so if we're going to speak back to God in prayer, we need to become well-versed in the language of that conversation. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to become a highly educated intellectual Bible scholar to be faithful or fruitful in prayer. In fact, quite the opposite. When scripture was written, it was written in the common everyday language of the people. The New Testament, for example, is written primarily in Greek, but not in the flowery literary kind of Greek that was preferred by intellectual uh, and educated people in the first century. The Bible was written in street-level Greek, that was used by fishermen and carpenters and homemakers and prostitutes. It was written in the, the kind of Greek that was used by pagan cultures in the first century. And so one author says that the Greek of the New Testament came across as, quote, barbarous to the educated. Like it was offensive to educated people how street level the Greek of the New Testament is. So much so that the early church actually found themselves defending that this actually was the inspired authoritative word of God. Educated people couldn't fathom that if God had spoken to his people, he would have spoken in such plain street-level words. 
So praying scripture does not mean that you have to learn how to imitate pastors and professional Christians and all the flowery phrases and cliches and jargons that we sometimes throw into our prayers. You can use everyday language. And if you pray scripture in its original setting, that's actually what you're already doing. That's what you're doing. So you don't have to say things. You don't have to pray things like, God, I humbly beseech thee. You don't have to open your prayers with that. You can just say, God, please hear me. Answer me, God. Or how long, Lord, till you answer me? You don't have to ask God to put a hedge of protection around you. You can. That's actually in Scripture. It's in Job chapter 1. It's in there one time. It's in the Bible one time. So you can pray that. Or, or you can just ask God to protect you. That's okay. You can just ask God to defend you, to deliver you, to keep you from harm, to keep you from evil. Because actually all those phrases are in the Bible a lot more than the hedge of protection. You can use everyday language, get this, because when God spoke through the prophets and the apostles, God spoke in a language that everyday people understood. So practically, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Here's what I'm going to call you to do sometime today or this week. Take some time to pray through Psalm 1, this text that we're in today. Now, you can, you can also meditate on a particular part of Psalm 1 and just let that meditation overflow into prayer. But sometime this week, slowly walk your way through Psalm 1, praying these words as you go. Next week, as we continue this series, we're going to talk more about the different kinds of prayers that we are invited to pray, the different forms that prayer can take. But even for this week, a simple grid that you can always use when you are praying your way through Scripture. When you read any given text in Scripture, what can I thank God for? What can I ask God for? These are two questions you can always use when reading any part of Scripture to turn that Scripture into prayer. In light of what I'm reading here, what can I thank God for? What can I ask God for? So in Psalm 1, God, thank you for giving me your law. Thank you for not leaving me to myself to figure out what the right way to live is. Thanks for speaking that we might know who you are. Thank you that Jesus gives me standing with you. And you can ask, God, help me to delight in your law. Help me not to walk or stand or sit in the way of the wicked. God, would you make me like that tree planted by streams of water? Would you make me prosper in the endeavors that you have put before me? Would you make me fruitful in my season? All of which is to say, church, immerse and saturate yourself in the Bible. Immerse yourself in what God has spoken because by doing that, you will learn how to speak to God. This is how you will learn to continue the conversation that God started. As Tim Keller put it, if attended to with trust and faith, the Bible is the way to actually hear God speaking and also to meet God himself. It is only by immersion in the language of the Bible that we will learn to pray, perhaps just as slowly as a child learns to speak. So men and women, would you, would you see this morning that God has spoken? God has spoken. He has revealed himself. He has made himself knowable. Would you be even more amazed at the real gift that that is? He's spoken through his creation. He's spoken through the the prophets and apostles in scripture. Most of all, would you see this morning, God has spoken through his son. And Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus is the one who purified us from our sins by his death on the cross. He is the one after his resurrection who now sits at the right hand of the Father. In Jesus, you and I can see the perfect standard of God. 
In Jesus, you and I are offered the source of all life and fruitfulness. And in Jesus, you and I have standing with God. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. But in Jesus, you will. You will. The wicked cannot approach God's throne with confidence. But in Jesus, you can. Because God has most loudly and clearly spoken through his son, may you continue this conversation that he began through meditation, through saturating yourself in scripture. May we become people of prayer. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for making yourself known and forgive us for ever taking that for granted. That we can know the one true God We can know you who created and sustains all of the world and all the universe. We ask this morning that we would continue to know you and be known by you. That we would continue to avail ourselves of what you have revealed, what you have spoken to us, that we could continue that conversation with you in prayer. Would you show us the gift it is to have access to you through Jesus? Would you show us the gift it is that we even have language that we can learn and become well-versed in in our conversation with you? And even now as we prepare to come to your table, may we delight in your true story of the world and what you've revealed. May we delight that you have not just given us a standard, but you, Jesus, are our source. You have given us the way to know you, to have standing with you. You have done that by your own body and blood. So we rejoice this morning together in your finished work, Jesus, and we pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.